Hi everyone, it's Harmon. This is Velocify Presents, hashtag style journey. Today we're talking to Haushala Saba, founder and head director of the Children and Youth First Organization, a rights-based NGO dedicated to underprivileged children's education. We're also talking to Amanda Brown, the executive director of CYF in the USA. Hi guys, how's it going today? Good, thank you for having us. Of course, so what have you been up to in the city so far? We've been traveling a lot, meeting a lot of new people. We've been talking about our organization and how we met. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you do and how you got started? Yes, yeah, so I'm Haushla Tapa and I'm the founder director of Children Youth First Organization based in Nepal. This organization was started not as planned or anything. It was started when I was volunteering in an orphanage back in 2008. Me and my friends were volunteering in this orphanage in Balaju, which is the north side of Kathmandu. And we've been volunteering there for the past two months. When we were volunteering, we were collecting a lot of clothes blankets and slippers that we are giving to the kids but later with time we found out that none of the things that we gave the orphanage were being given to the children we talked to the people who are running the orphanage and we told them where the, where's the stuff that we've given you and where's the money that we've given you and they just told us that the stuff that you've given to the children it's no use we have enough we told them at the point we gave you these things were so that the kids can use it so that the kids don't have it that's the reason why we gave it to you having conversations with the children every day since we were volunteering there we found out that most of the children that were there were being molested and abused by the people who were running the orphanage. There were random people who were coming into the orphanage and were using the children for their own benefit. Me and my friends, there were the three of us, we couldn't turn away from it. We're educated youth and if we're not going to do anything about it, then who else will? So we rushed in with a micro van, which we call a big white van, to the orphanage, got some police with us and the support of the community. We rescued the 14 children one night. Within 2 a.m. we were at our friend's apartment with these 14 kids. The morning that day was a shock, to be honest. What did we just do? We're 21, we still have our own lives, but it felt messed up to be honest. We didn't know where to head, we didn't know what to do. In a week, we started planning where should we keep the kids, have we done the right thing, and we should have planned this out. There was a lot of conflict as well. We approached a lot of boarding schools to taking these 14 children. None of them were ready to take these 14 kids. They simply told us that 14 kids pay us a fee for two months, but what if you guys run away and we have the kids with us for years and years to come? Who's going to take the responsibility? We told them we'll give you legal documents and everything, our legal documents, but they told us you're not an organization, you're nothing. So we can not trust you. So we had the kids in the apartment for two weeks. Finally, Prema Zimba approached us, who runs Life Vision Academy, and she told me, Haushala, I've been seeing you guys running with these 14 kids here and there. I have a school which supports underprivileged kids as well. Bring these kids to my school. I'll be happy to shelter them. I don't need money. I need food. That's one thing I need. For 14 kids, I need food. I'll need biscuits, I'll need rice. That's the one thing that we eat a lot in Nepal. We need rice. And Nepal people, we love rice. So with Prema taking the kids in, we got the organization registered. With time, we collaborated the school and the organization together. And the friends who rescued these kids with me, since I had graduated from social work, they told me, okay, Haushla, you're the perfect person to run this thing. We are going to be traveling around the world. We have our own thing to do. So that's how the whole cause gave birth. And that's how Life Vision Academy and CYF is a collaborative. Our organization helps to run the school. We started with 14 children, and we have 45 children at the moment. How did you decide to go from just supporting those children to creating the whole organization and deciding to help more and more children as time went on? Once we took in the 14 kids, 
a lot of people on social media in Nepal, in Kathmandu, got to know about our work. A lot of our friends and family, they approached us saying, look, there's this kid around this neighborhood. Her mom's a maid. She hasn't been able to support her kid's education. Will you be able to take that kid? Then organizations that work with raped victims and with burns victims, they started approaching our organization and they asked us if we could temporarily shelter a few kids for a couple of weeks or even permanently take these children. So we have 45 children at the moment. Between that time, I met Amanda Brown, uh, this lovely lady, a year ago when I was hosting her as she was in Nepal for her human rights program studies along with other students. We talked about my organization, the cause that I strongly believe in, and she visited the school and I told her, look, we have our organization in the U.S., but we don't have people to lead it. So will you be willing to do this? And she said yes, and she's been doing an amazing job. Amanda, how's it being a part of the organization been for you? Life-changing, I think would be a concise way to say it. I met her in 2014. Um, I was randomly placed into a homestay with her when I was studying abroad in Nepal. So if you don't believe in destiny, maybe that's a reason why you should. <laughs> um, but so yes, I was studying education and human rights exactly up the alley of CYF. And first, Haushla captivated me with her passion and her work. And then I went to the school with her and the kids just captivated me instantly. And then I found out that, you know, they had been incorporated in the U.S. as a 501c3, but they didn't have someone to run it. So then when she asked me, I mean, I was still an undergrad. I just graduated from Colgate this May, so I still had a whole year ahead of me. And I said, we'll just do it. <laughs> and it's been absolutely amazing. So over the past year, we've been building a team in the U.S. to help. And our main mission is fundraising and advocating just on behalf of our amazing team who works on the ground in Nepal. So what has been your favorite part of the experience for the both of you? It's been great to know how people think here towards an organization, towards a cause as well. It's been an amazing journey working with Amanda, despite just emailing and just talking to each other on Skype or on Viber. When two people work together for a cause that you believe in, you've got more energy into it. You've got more positive vibes coming into it because that's what I believe in. I believe that you need to have a lot of good energy in order to do something good. There are a lot of challenges that we have. There are a lot of problems that we have, but for us, our inspiration is the children that we work for. They inspire us to work hard every day and they inspire us to not give up. For me, I guess my favorite part is just getting to talk about the kids and to tell more people about them because, you know, the, the minute I walked in, they absolutely just touched me, and I was inspired by them, and as Hashla said, we continue to be inspired by them every day. And the first time I watched her talk about these kids, I just saw her light up, and then every time I saw one of the kids at the school talk about how they've grown or what they want to do when they're older, they lit up, and now I've been told that when I talk about it, I light up, apparently. <laughs> and then when people hear it, they do as well. So I guess kind of just being a part of spreading that light and getting people excited about it and spreading these amazing stories about these amazing young people. Is there a singular moment where you were like, I'm so glad that I'm doing this right now. Um, yes. <laughs> I feel that if I turned back six years ago, I think I would live with that regret the entire life that I could have changed the life of these 14 kids, but I didn't. So glad I did it. <laughs> and one of the kids just graduated this year and he got a distinction. So I'm really proud. <laughs> so what has been the most challenging part of starting an organization like this? One of the most challenging part has been to get people to donate. People have money, but they want to hear the story. They want to see the sad part, the bad part. As an organization, as a person, why should we collect money by showing sad and poor and all these negative images? That's one thing that I don't believe in. But with time, you see that that's what people want to see and that's how they want to support. So that has been a challenge for us because uh, as a team, we want to show people that the kids are happy and yes, they are. You know, we have challenges as an organization in order to collect donations and to meet our rent because we have a huge rent amount that we have to pay every month. We don't want to showcase 
our children as a product on a shelf. That's the last thing we want to do. They are who they are, they're children. They're not a product on the shelf. But people want to see them as an object, you know, when you want to donate. That's the reason why probably we still struggle to get donations. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely see that because when people look at charities to donate to, they're like, oh, which one is hurting the most? Because they want to feel good about themselves sometimes. But when you're working with an organization like yours, you have to understand that you're working towards a more positive product rather than just helping someone who needs help. You have to look at the positive outcome rather than just the negative. And I'm so glad that you have that outlook because I know a lot of organizations, they tend to capitalize on that and they don't consider, well, what if we change the way people look at it so they see that they're helping make something positive, even more positive rather than making something negative little less negative, you know? Exactly. And a lot of organizations that do fundraise for children like this like to capitalize on that pain and on that suffering, and that is not at all what we do. We're very much a rights-based organization in that we are allying mm -hmm. with these young people because they have these fundamental rights that they are not having access to. So it's very much an alliance and not a charity case, which I think sets us apart from a lot of other charity organizations <laughs> who do do similar work. So in building this organization, when you needed help, where did you go? In the initial period, we approached people that we knew. The first group of people that I approached was my dad's friends, my families that I knew could donate, friends, friends and their families. And that's, oh, we've never been supported by any big organization till date. We've solely been running through individual people and groups and young people who've been fundraising and who've been actively involved as an organization ambassador. And because when you're with a cause, people want to know the person who's behind the cause. They want to know who's the face behind it. They want to trust that person. When people knew that it was me, and since I have been involved in social work for a very long time, since at a young age, people knew me, and then people donated, and that's how we started off. And forgetting that U.S. team off the ground, so over the past year, some place I turned that was extremely helpful for all of us was the Thought into Action program at my school at Colgate. It's an entrepreneurship incubator, basically, that encourages students to, you know, take yeah. their thoughts turn them into action, right? So you come in with a venture, and you can have started or not, and obviously we had started, yeah. but now we're trying to really launch this, I guess, in the U.S. and gain a lot more support. So they gave me a year-long mentorship and workshops, and it finally culminated in this weekend that we have for entrepreneurship and social entrepreneurship in April, where they allowed me to conclude the weekend by pitching up on stage. And it was really just supposed to get our story out there, but it turned into an impromptu fundraising <laughs> session. So I guess by accident, I asked the Colgate Alumni <laughs> Network for help, and we actually raised over $30,000 in 10 minutes wow. for our school. That is really amazing. <laughs> in 10 minutes. Now that your organization is growing, has it become easier to get donations from people? Like, what kind of outlet have you been looking at to get those donations? With six years down the line, it has been easier now to get donations. I wouldn't say it's really easy as well at the same time. But what we're doing now is we're collecting donations to build our own school. We bought our own land. That's where our focus is at the moment. And one way we've kind of been trying to do that in terms of getting, you know, individuals to donate, mm -hmm. as Hushlan mentioned, a lot of people who donate like to see objects. But we don't want those objects to be children, but there are a lot of objects that go into schools. So we've built a donor platform on our website where people can scroll through as if it's any other online store and pick out something and add it to their cart mm -hmm. that they want to donate. You can add a desk to your cart or add the soccer yeah. field, and then we follow up specifically with what you bought. So if you bought the soccer field, you would get a video of the kids playing soccer and okay. see it being built. That's a great way to connect people with an organization so they can see the change. Because yeah. I know a lot of people, they're like, well, I want to see something happening, and I want to know my money is going directly to the kids. And having this kind of setup is a perfect way to do it. So what have you learned about yourself along the way and about the NGO industry? Ooh, that's hard. Getting involved 
passionately for this past six years. I've learned a lot of good things about organizations. I've met a lot of amazing people doing amazing work for the cause that they believe in. But I've also sensed a type of competition that NGOs feel amongst each other, which I feel is really not good because the cause that you believe in is not, I'm doing great and you know I need to run fast. I mean, you're an organization, so social organizations need, need to take their own pace, that's what I feel. But yeah, that's one of the experiences that I felt competed against during workshops or seminars, <laughs> especially back home. I guess a shocking thing I've learned about the NGO industry that's a positive thing is that people really want to help. And as we said, something really hard is just getting people to donate simply, but sometimes you'll just meet someone and you're shocked by their generosity and their excitement for your cause, and it's always really rewarding and really exciting. As Haushala said, a negative, shocking part I've learned about is the competition, which is definitely disappointing, especially for us in the past two months after the earthquakes that absolutely rocked Nepal. It's been kind of disappointing to see that there are organizations competing because they really do have the same exact mission. Then on the other side, you do see a lot of them collaborating and doing amazing work together and building networks that yeah. are doing doing so much and so selflessly, so there's always a silver lining. Overall, uh, experience uh, of running an organization has been a new beginning every day for me. My kids come and tell me new things every day. They change their aims every day, like somebody wants to be an engineer and the next day they want to be a dancer, and then the next day they want to be a singer. It's who influences them, you know, and I've learned that kids are dreamers, but it's our part to make that dream come true. You cannot clap with one hand, you need two hands to clap. You have to let the children know there are people behind you who are helping you, so you also need to work hard for that dream. And if you could do anything over again, what would it be? I would probably rescue the kid much faster than I have because some of the kids are more scarred with the experience that they have. They still have that engraved that this happened to me. And I wish we had known them before. If we could have helped or rescued them before, maybe that scar wouldn't have happened because that really affects the behavior pattern to their how they learn in school and how they progress as well. Otherwise, I wouldn't. Everything has been good. I would have gone to Nepal earlier. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Not only just to help, but also to see it, I'm yeah. guessing, too. <laughs> and what's the greatest lesson about this experience that you would like to pass on to our listeners? If you have the power to change, if you have the power to do something, do it. Don't think, I would say, don't plan too much sometimes. Sometimes do it with your heart. Of course, you need your mind to do it, but if you go out planning for a cause, then you will miss out a lot of things. If you believe in something, if you think that you can change, if you have the power to do it, I would tell you to do it, because you will definitely make a difference. That's what I would like to say. Adding on that, don't wait. I think a lot of people, even when they've found their passion or have something that really sparks something in them, want to wait until they're ready. But I've found that ready does not exist and that no one's ever going to be ready. So you might as well start now. You'll only learn the most by doing and not by waiting or researching. You actually have to just have those experiences and learn from them and don't stop and just keep pushing as hard and as fast as you can. What's next for you guys? What's next for CYF? We are building our school and we are looking out for donations <laughs> to build our school. But also the next thing we want to do is we want to create different hubs of CYF back in Nepal where we can connect women as well because that's one other thing that the organization does. We want to train these women with stitching and knitting uh, skills where we can economically empower them. Right, so Haushala actually back in 2013 founded the Haushala Women's Cooperative. Um, it means encouragement, Haushala in Nepali. So we encourage these marginalized women yeah. from challenging backgrounds to knit and sew together for social strength and for financial independence. And it's been going really great, mm -hmm. but after the earthquake, Haushala found that there's a huge gap for people who don't have these business opportunities and there's a million and one ways to give important and helpful relief that lasts a day but what about creating a business opportunity that lasts much longer than that and allows them to empower themselves 
So that's why we want to extend these hubs to the regions that really need it most and give them the tools that they need to build up themselves. I just feel so inspired right now. I'm going to go out and do something after this. <laughs> Next, we're going to do a few rapid-fire questions. Okay. So it's going to be fun. For a casual weekend, what do you wear, sweatpants or yoga pants? Sweatpants. Sweatpants and a sweatshirt. <laughs> yeah. All about that grout fit. Yep. <laughs> the person that you would most love to have coffee with, dead or alive? Alive. But who? But who? <laughs> 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 oh, oh, okay. I was like, I would you? Was <laughs> dead person. <laughs> Sorry, I got the question. Um, who? Let me think. Alive. Who would I want to have coffee with? It depends where I want to have coffee with, <laughs> too. Um, I would like to have coffee with the president, Mr. Obama. Yeah. I was going to say Malala, probably. Ooh, I think we could learn a lot from her. She's doing a She's so young. Yeah, she's amazing. When her story first came out, I was just so blown away yeah. that she had the power to do something like that after being shot. I was just, and here I am, just in New York. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any traveling tips? Yeah, I mean, go wherever you want to go. Even if you plan for your travel, don't make it like, I would do this and this. And Don't go on a schedule. Discover the local places. That's what I would say. Get to know the local people and discover the local places. Find a great host mom. <laughs> change your life. <laughs> I guess also more pragmatically and realistically. Um, spend money on places, not things. Yeah. Go as many places as you can. Absolutely. And along the same vein, what place would you like to visit the most? I would say travel Nepal. <laughs> there are a lot of places that I haven't been back home, and our country really depends on the tourism industry. And with the earthquake, it has been terrible. Tourists have just dropped. But it's a beautiful, amazing country, and you should go there. So many places that haven't been damaged because of the earthquake. Even the capital is safe. And the place that I want to go back home is Gosai Kunda, which is one of the highest lakes and one of the most beautiful places in the world. So that's one of the places that I want to go. And the U.S. is the first country to lift their travel ban on Nepal, so yeah. no better time than now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, There's a lot of places left in Nepal that I really want to go to. I'm also, top of my list, I'd probably say India and Thailand. Maybe make the same trip. <laughs> Might as well circle yeah. the whole area while you're over there. <laughs> what is the grossest thing you've ever eaten? I had this thing yesterday, actually, at a French uh, restaurant. <laughs> Sorry. It was Edgar. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah. And I think it was good. <laughs> I didn't like it. Sorry. <laughs> Mine was also at a French restaurant, which was it was like lamb tongue. I didn't really like it. And now I'm vegetarian, but not solely because of that. <laughs> it just didn't help the cause. Help. <laughs> Your least favorite day of the week. I don't have a least favorite day, so. Favorite day of the week? Oh, uh, favorite day is Saturday and then Mondays, if I get to pick two. Really? Any day I can take a nap, probably. <laughs> and out of everyone you know, who has the best laugh? I think my dad has the best laugh. Is it one of those like full laughs that are like, oh, oh, oh. Uh, yeah? And then he um, he goes like that. So <laughs> that's what my mom does. I was just gonna say her. Yeah, she's a snorter. <laughs> That's all the questions we have. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for Thank having you. us. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for the opportunity as well. This has been Velocify Presents Hashtag Style Journey. <laughs>